Well, my dear friends, I bring you greetings from cool, beautiful Scotland. Jill and I have been on a wonderful trip, and we enjoyed it very much. We even enjoyed spending the night in the Atlanta airport. (laughs) And we especially enjoyed being reunited with our luggage on the sixth day. So it was exciting. We didn't let that dampen our spirits. I also salute all the fathers who are present with us today on Father's Day. This is a day in this country that we set aside to honor our fathers and grandfathers and forebears and to honor all those boys and men who will become the fathers of the future. Congratulations and blessings and the love of Jesus to all of you. Now, Jill and I have been on a pilgrimage, a spiritual journey. We have been to Yorkminster, the Durham Cathedral, the Holy Island of Lindisfarne, the tombs of St. Cuthbert and the Venerable Bede, the St. Giles Cathedral, and the Holy Island of Iona, with this ancient abbey where stands a stone cross dating from about the year 750. This is where in the 6th century, St. Columba first brought the light of the gospel to the Scots, my ancestors. We were also able to visit the village of Kilmelford, Scotland, from which my first brown ancestor in the New World, Hugh Brown, left in 1739 to come to North Carolina. And during this trip, Jill and I also celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Now I think all of you will agree that all of that taken together is very thought-provoking and very sobering. It was the cause of much contemplation and soul-searching, and it was very, very emotional. Now all this in combination with my last Sunday with you as your interim vicar, I hope that you will be able to be understanding and forgiving today. I'm a bit emotional, and I'll be a bit more personal and maybe perhaps a bit less professional in my approach. And a pilgrimage is supposed to cause examination of your life and your spirituality. How fitting it is then, and how providential it is, that our lectionary provides the scripture selection for today. Jesus tells us of the wonders of the establishment of the kingdom of God. Jesus begins with a discussion of the mystery of plants. Now in our time, a few scientists have detailed knowledge of the germination process of plants. But for the rest of us, like in ancient times, The growing of plants from seeds remains a fascinating and beautiful mystery. And it takes place apart from any action or knowledge on our part. And Jesus chooses of all things, not the mighty cedars of Lebanon or sturdy oak trees standing by the water, but he chooses the lowly mustard plant for his illustration. And we know by this that Jesus must have had a sense of humor. And the crowd around him and his disciples must have laughed at this selection. And a few of them probably groaned, oh no. Jesus must have had his tongue firmly in his cheek. And he must have had a wry smile on his face. 
Jesus is drawing here on the powerful notion of satire to make his point. Instead of the cedars of Lebanon, he chooses a common weed, a plant that is borderline a pest. No matter how immaculately a farmer chooses to keep his fields, no matter the care that a gardener puts into his own little plot, no one could stop the mustard plant with its seeds that were so tiny they were borne by the wind and the sandals of travelers. No one could stop it from invading and colonizing an area. Now this is black mustard, very common in the Middle East in the time of Jesus. And while it does have some medicinal properties, and while it does make a very large plant, it's kind of like our kudzu. Once you have it, it's always with you. And it was everywhere. Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God will take root where it will, whether or not the world approves or disapproves. Jesus does not tell us where. It could be an imperial Roman society. It could be a remote island off the coast of Scotland. It could be here in Conway, Arkansas. It could even be in someone's heart. Jesus does not specify. But like the mustard plant, there's no stopping it. And it does not necessarily depend on human action or understanding. Now there are a couple of aspects here that Jesus is emphasizing. The kingdom of God is not an ordinary seed. It's like a mustard seed. It is not the kind of crop that people grow or plant deliberately. It grows where it will. It starts very small, but it grows to be very large indeed. And it is not very easily eradicated. It is not a cash crop. It is not grown for the material benefit of anyone. It invades most manicured of gardens. Therefore, when you pray, Thy kingdom come, be careful what you're asking for. Now Jesus was depending on satire here. He is telling us that the kingdom of God will upset society with all its norms and social conventions. Like the invasive mustard, the kingdom will upset conventional values and boundaries. Like the mustard, it will get into everything, grow where it will, and upset all the careful planning and arrangements that the most careful people may make. People may want to uproot it, put it back in its place. Like the mustard plant, they may want to burn it or eradicate it. But it will resist all human effort at manipulation. It will persist forever. Now Jesus has not promised us that the reign of God will come into being unhindered he is not saying to us that the progress of the gospel will be smooth and even in its pace. The reign of God will not carve out an exclusive space, but it will be a part of all human existence. It will be in all aspects of the lives of believers, be it economic or political or social, even a part of our family life. This helps to explain a lot about our life as Christians. To me, at least, it's an explanation. 
This life is not trouble-free. It is not protected from the forces of the world. But it is a life that cannot be stopped. Perhaps this helps to explain how an introverted man with a public face, an efficiency intellectual, an economist, known to make virtually all decisions on a data-driven basis, a hard-nosed kind of administrator, direct and outspoken to a fault, and known only to a few, a person with a very tender heart who maintains an outer shell as a means of self-protection to keep that heart from breaking. Perhaps this helps to explain how such a person is called by God late in life to become a priest. This helps explain how you welcome Jill and me with such love and dedication. It explains how the Holy Spirit is at work in the love that is present in this congregation. The beacon of hope and acceptance that you have become in this community. In my time with you, I have but one regret. That is, in my judgment, as an interim person, I was not able to share fully with you all that love that comes with a full and complete relationship. I could not afford to be as close to you as I might wish. That was both because of the separation anxiety that this congregation was experiencing last summer. You could not go through that again. And because such closeness would not be to the benefit of your next rector, whomever God sent to you. But rest assured, the love that I feel for this congregation, the love that Jill and I both share for all of you, is the love that God has given to us through His Son, Jesus our Savior. And like the mustard seed and the large plant that it produces, it will not be eradicated. It will persist always. Amen.